Our mission is one of readiness. Indiana, flexing its military muscle in the air and on the ground. The Miskatatuck training area is one of the largest uh, dense urban warfighting training areas in the United States. Uh, we use it to practice everything from close quarters combat and close quarters battle to earthquake and disaster relief. The National Guard will not just make people our highest priority, but holistically look at how we acquire, develop, employ, and retain that talent. The man in charge of making sure Indiana's 12,000 National Guardsmen and women stay at the ready, Salem, Indiana native, Major General R. Dale Lyles, my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Indiana has grown into a multi-billion dollar hub for military research, training, and investment. A key component to Indiana's military might, the National Guard, with armories and units across the state, training facilities at Camp Atterbury and Muscatatuck, and air wings in Fort Wayne and Terre Haute. Major General R. Dale Lyles is the man in charge of leading the Indiana National Guard, an organization that touches all 92 counties in the state and plays a big role in Indiana's growing defense space. And I'm pleased to be joined on the podcast this week by Major General R. Dale Lyles. And uh, Major General Lyles, really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me. Thank you, Gary. It's my pleasure to be here today. Well, I've been looking forward to this because, uh, you know, I think so many people in Indiana aren't aware of so many things and, and that the uh, the Indiana National Guard and all the various responsibilities that you have under your watch, the impact uh, that those uh, entities have and, and how uh, widespread they are throughout the state. So I'll begin. You were named Adjutant General in October of 2019, so uh, about four years ago. When you ascended to that role, what what basically is your vision for the Indiana National Guard? Uh, well, thanks, Gary. My my vision for the National Guard is to create an organization that allows Hoosiers to join and to serve their state and to serve their country. And my vision extends into what does the Indiana National Guard need to look like in 2030 and in 2040 to make, to remain a relevant organization, both for our governor and for our president to call us uh, when in need. So, and again, to be sure, the, the Indiana National Guard ha has both a state and a national mission. Is that correct? That's correct. We have a dual role. So last year, we had over 10% of the Indiana National Guard deployed overseas. Uh, we had an infantry battalion squadron from New Albany deployed to the Egypt and Sinai. We had a headquarters from Evansville Artillery Battalion deployed to Iraq. And we just received back the Infantry Brigade Combat Team from Kosovo. So they've been over there for a year uh, helping the Kosovoers maintain their sovereignty in a very hostile region. So that's kind of the federal side of the mission. We also have a state mission whereby we are put on state active duty when the governor needs us in a time of emergency. So, for example, 
during the uh, Christmas season, we had those extremely low temperatures, if you'll recall. Right. And we decided that it would be a good idea to mobilize the National Guard to help the uh, Indiana, the Indiana State Police and other organizations patrol the roads for potential slide offs and things like that because of the increased traffic during those frigid temperatures. Describe the Indiana National Guard, the size, the makeup the impact that it has throughout the state, because it does, I'm, I'm sure, touch on all uh, 92 counties. It does. So we have uh, right around 12,000 Indiana Guardsmen. And so we have about 11,000 Army National Guard and about 1,000 to 1,500 Air National Guard. And then we have 62 armories uh, around the state that are in our counties. Uh, so we have a very large presence uh, inside the state of Indiana. So the Air National Guard has two wings, one in Terre Haute and one in Fort Wayne. And I can tell you, um, we uh, are going to upgrade from the A-10 fighter uh, plane to the F-16 in Fort Wayne this year. And so in October, we'll start seeing our F-16s arrive. Indiana is very blessed with a large force structure. We are one of the largest uh, guard states in the United States. And so we have a division headquarters and five brigades on the Army side. So we have a very robust guard presence inside of Indiana. And there's an economic impact. You mentioned the uh, the transition there in Fort Wayne. I know Terre Haute has long had a, had a base uh, there. There's economic impact to those, uh, those installations. There is. So um, there's a very large impact uh, with a fighter wing being positioned in Fort Wayne. Very large impact there. But I'll tell you, we are partnered with the Indiana Economic Development Corporation to try to educate the defense industry of the robust opportunities inside of Indiana to bring more defense business here. And so because the Indiana National Guard has Camp Atterbury and the Muscatatuck Urban Training Center, we are able to use our ranges and the restricted and special use airspace over those ranges to attract the defense sector to Indiana. And I'll tell you, I was uh, at the Fort Wayne uh, uh, Defense uh, Economic Defense Summit that uh, Congressman Banks put on, and I was amazed at the defense industry that came here and just fell in love with Indiana, and especially because of the outstanding engineering schools that we have, five of the, fifth, uh, the 15 uh, best top-ranked engineer schools are in Indiana, and the defense industry knows that. Yeah, and, and you know, I was going to bring this up later, but let's do it now because I that that to me that's that's fascinating. I was actually at that summit as well, and and I did a fireside chat with with Palmer Lucky, which was was uh-huh. fascinating to me. And I too was struck by the numbers of people, the level uh, of people that attended that event. G- give folks an idea when you talk about the defense sector, how uniquely positioned Indiana is to really take advantage uh, take advantage of that. Well, one of the things I learned from that is they love Indiana because of our Midwest hospitality and the fact that we roll our sleeves up, we solve complex and wicked problems, and we get after it with a high degree of sincerity, especially when it comes to serving our nation and getting after problems for the defense sector. And so I think you know, they they look at Indiana as a value proposition because we have hardworking, talented, uh, Hoosier-minded people who want to solve problems for their nation's best interest. And we offer a very centralized location to where they can get back and forth uh, to things like Washington, D.C., or even back out to California, to Silicon Valley if they need to. 
Talk about the uh, again how Indiana's positioned the military assets that you that you oversee. You mentioned the academic firepower in these great engineering universities. Not to mention the private sector companies, uh, really big time companies in the defense space that would seem to add up to a pretty powerful presentation, if you will, uh, when you're going after defense dollars. Yes, it does. So. Uh, the defense sector inside of Indiana and our partnership with them allows us to attract business here. So, as I mentioned, Camp Atterbury has a full complement of ranges to, to test uh, munitions and uh, small arms. And then we also have the restricted airspace over top of Camp Atterbury that allows us to do uh, unmanned aerial systems testing, as well as counter unmanned aerial systems testing. And our partnership with Crane goes a long ways of doing that. When you talk about the unmanned systems and in some of those other uh, areas, cyber, it would seem to be that 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 Indiana has that tradition, that traditional uh, old school, if you will, uh, connection, but also very much a connection to present day and futuristic uh, military operations. Am I saying am I correct in that assessment? You are. So we have a lot of thought leaders in Indiana that are leading the way in that particular space. And so, for example, we understand what the Department of Defense will need for ranges, and we are modernizing our ranges now uh, in partnership with Crane Naval Warfare Center and other agencies to allow electronic warfare testing over top Muscatatuck in an, envir in an urban environment, as well as those same systems testings with lasers and other things at Camp Atterbury. And so understanding the modernization of these weapon systems and the ranges that it takes to or to test and evaluate is something we're staying on par with. And we're looking to transform all of our ranges to meet the expectations of the defense industry. Describe Muscatatuck, uh, because I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that name and, and heard of Muscatatuck. But in terms of uh, what it offers from a training perspective, and I think if if I remember right, and I'm going on memory here, but that maybe even they've had movies and things that have been in film there, you know, using that. Uh, basically, it's a city with infrastructure and and, uh, and the like. It is. And so uh, Muscatatuck is a city. Uh, it was formerly an institution that was held by the state of Indiana. And then the Indiana National Guard received ownership of that institution in about 2003, 2004. And we flipped it into, with, with a partnership with the Army, flipped it into an urban training center whereby we kept over 100 buildings inside the city with electricity, uh, water, all the right infrastructure inside of that city in order to train how to fight in an urban environment. And then we had the foresight to turn that city into a cyber city. And so even as early as 2008, 2009, we started enhancing the Muscatatuck Urban Training Center to be a Department of Defense cyber range in order to train and test your cyber warfare. And so we do that there on a regular basis. You give us an idea, uh, listeners, an idea of what's involved with that. I mean, it sounds really, you know, futuristic, but a cyber range and what's involved there and how much training has gone on there, because I think Indiana is really unique in that aspect to have something to offer like that. It is. So we are recognized by uh, the cyber commands to come and do cyber training here for all services. So. What I'll tell you for a cyber range, for example, we had an internal water treatment facility at Muscatatuck and that provided the water to each of the buildings there. And so what we did was 
we took it offline, so to speak, from the cities, or we actually, we left it online so that it could provide water, but mm -hmm. we ran parallel adjacent to a rural water company provides us water there now, but we left the water treatment plant online. And so now it is susceptible to cyber attack. And so we have organizations come in, both civilian and military, that learn how to protect rural water companies from cyber attack, as well as offensive cyber operations that come in there and try to get into the uh, infrastructure to try to attack it. So we have ongoing competitions to defend and competitions to attack that particular uh, water treatment facility. And then we have other venues around there, uh, what we call the Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. uh, that You can use cell phones, other devices that are susceptible to cyber attack that we use as well. So we have our own cell tower and our own internal cell phone systems uh, that are used very regularly, too, by units that need those types of training as well. Talk about your responsibilities, of course, include the Indiana National Guard, but we've talked about Muscatatuck and Atterbury. You you have a big job. You have a lot of responsibilities. Give us a thumbnail description of the uh, Indiana Adjutant uh, General and, and your responsibilities. Yeah, well, of course, as I mentioned, my my first and foremost responsibility is to maintain a ready National Guard. And our readiness level uh, really reaches into our people strategy. So we have a strategy whereby we, we really work hard uh, to treat our people fair, create an environment and excel uh, and achieve their personal objectives inside the military. And so first and foremost, my responsibility is to maintain that highest degree of readiness possible for quick alert and quick mobilization to respond to our state and our nation's call. But really what's keeping me up mostly right now these days is the all-volunteer force. And so this marks the 50th year of the all-volunteer force. And so in 1973, uh, President Nixon, Nixon uh, through Congress, abolished the draft, and we flipped to an all-volunteer force. And honestly, we have done as a nation a remarkable job of maintaining the best military, all services, for over 46, 47 years through an all-volunteer force. And honestly, that's what makes us the best military in the world because we have professionals, we are professionate arms with volunteers who want to serve and who want to protect their nation. Over the last three years, we've seen almost a 40% decrease in the desire to, to serve. I, I would, would maybe rephrase that. We've seen a 40% decrease uh, in service not because of a desire or a propensity to serve, but rather because of competition uh, with a very low unemployment rate. So, for example, in Indiana, uh, we are competing against the civilian sector uh, for every high school senior that's coming out now that makes a decision on where to go. They have the choice between two jobs that they could take uh, at substantially good pay. And so we're competing with a very low unemployment rate, and we know that. Uh, so we are working very hard to ensure that we inform people to know that they can come serve in the National Guard and live in Indiana and be a part of something bigger than themselves and serve both their nation and their state uh, through the National Guard. That's a that's a big issue, a big challenge. You mentioned you mentioned pay as being one of the obstacles. What are some of the other factors you feel that are contributing to this uh, this decline in in, in service? Uh, so there are a host of factors. I think the the, the biggest uh, stumbling block is the low unemployment rate. 
I think we also have to have a better understanding of how to get our message out uh, about who we are as an organization. So the National Guard offers the opportunity for young people to join, to enlist in the National Guard, uh, to get a skill set that will provide them with opportunities to uh, earn a a, a higher-than-normal uh, salary, and we also offer the opportunity to teach young people good life skill through uh, physical fitness, dietary habits, things of that sort. So we have life fit coaches and other, other teams of people that are helping our generation understand that. So getting the word out and helping people understand who the National Guard is and what we have to offer is, is another stumbling block to uh, uh, informing people about who we are. Talk more about those talent attraction efforts and learn a little bit more about Major General R. Dale Lyles when we return on the Business and Beyond podcast. Stay with us. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank, all rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week, Major General R. Dale Lyles, the Indiana Adjutant General. And uh, Major General Lyles, we were uh, before the break talking about talent. I mean, that's a that's an issue that affects uh, companies of all shapes and sizes, not only here in Indiana, but around the country. And it's certainly affecting the military. You talk about a drop in service these past two or three years any other factors because you know you you know social media is so prevalent in in some of the, the you know kind of the social themes uh weaving through society these days does that you know play a role in all of this is that a, a tough kind of hill to overcome just in terms of the maybe the general mood of young people these days well I'll tell you um leveraging social media uh applications to broaden our messaging uh, is something that we do so we have Everything from a YouTube channel to to Twitter to Instagram, QR codes, all those things exist for the National Guard. But I'll tell you, Gary, when a young person makes a decision to join the military, uh, they are making a commitment for six years. And so what we like to do is we have 128 recruiters. And what we like to do is get those recruiters into the high schools and into spaces where they can sit down with the kids and have a conversation about what it means to serve and really get past the initial introduction of a social media app and really drill into what the military has to offer. And so I'll tell you, just to use myself as an example, you know, I'm a I'm a kid from a small town in Salem, Indiana, and I graduate high school and I go directly into the military. And today, 36, 37 years later, the military has afforded me the opportunity to achieve the rank of a major general. It has provided extremely well for my family, and it has provided me with three academic degrees that I would not have gotten uh, otherwise. 
And so there is just a tremendous opportunity that the military offers young men and women to help find their way and to help find out who they are. And uh, I will tell you, um, we offer that and we offer that to anyone that's interested in the military. And that that look for talent and uh, that drive for talent acquisition is really uh, uh, what I want to do because I know it's made me a better person. We're talking about growing up, uh, you're Southern Indiana boy, right? Grew up in uh, Salem. Talk about uh, growing up in Salem, Indiana. Sure. Well, my dad is a retired Army officer. So for for my first 15 years, um, I followed him around throughout the world. I was actually born in Munich, Germany. Uh, And then uh, when he retired, uh, we came back to Salem as a family because that's where he and my mother originate from. And so, you know, going to high school in Salem, I was taught the virtues of hard work, uh, you know, working on a farm, uh, experiencing small town life. Um, But then I had the uh, desire to join the military and I joined the military right after high school and uh, was on active duty for a while, then got off of active duty, came back, applied my uh, benefits to get my uh, bachelor's degree in accounting. And I went to work for a small CPA firm for a while and just was unfulfilled because I just missed the military. Mm -hmm. And so I joined the National Guard thinking, you know, that'll satisfy it. But it actually just uh, perpetuated my desire to continue to serve. And so uh, from the first day that I walked into an armory, into an infantry company and fell in with my squad and my platoon, I just felt like it was a band of brothers and it was something that I wanted to be a part of, just something bigger than myself. And that that desire to serve was really reached by joining the National Guard. And it sounds like, you know, certainly it was literally in your blood with your uh, your dad uh, and his, his military uh, service. You probably couldn't think of any other career path other than this you mentioned the the accounting uh, path that didn't wasn't quite fulfilling the military is uh, is your life it is so you know i grew up in the military and then i joined right out of high school and now i'm kind of reaching the uh, end of my term of service if you if you will and uh, i've not done anything uh, other than military so but i'll tell you i i attribute Uh, my success as a major general to all of the opportunities that the National Guard offers a young man and a young woman. But I'll also tell you that my dad uh, was instrumental in that as well, both my mother and my father, um, and his service to his nation, a retired Army officer. uh, He's a Vietnam veteran. But my my grandfather served in World War I, and my uh, uncles also served as well. Um, so just that that service to country and service above self is something that I grew up with. As you look going forward, what keeps you up at night? What's your biggest concern as you look to the uh, look to the future with respect to the military in general and the Indiana National Guard uh, specifically? For me, I want to make sure that we set the conditions now to be relevant in 2030 and 2040 so that we are prepared uh, to defend this great country and to provide a robust force structure for the governor if needed inside of Indiana. And so what we do is we study real hard uh, as to what we think that future force structure will look like. So for example, as I mentioned, a, a, a big success story is that the 122nd fighter wing will soon transition from A-10s to F-16s. Well, you know, the ink hasn't even dried on that contract yet, and we are already starting to look at what do we need to do to set the conditions now to be a candidate to receive F-35s? And so that is a modernization uh, concept. 
that we are studying now through an economic develop or an economic impact study, and then a feasibility study to see what that would look like. We have to work now, set the conditions now in order to receive force structure in 10 years that keeps in the Indiana Army and Air National Guard relevant. Not to mention, uh, we are looking at what would it take for Indiana to be a candidate to receive a cyber brigade inside of Indiana? So we have a cyber battalion. And what we are doing now is we're asking our questions. If we want to be a, a state that has a cyber brigade, what do we need to do now in order to achieve that? So that's partnerships with uh, Ivy Tech, with IU, with Purdue, with other academic institutions to build a cybersecurity workforce that would allow itself to join the National Guard and to be a part of that organization. It's also increasing floor space where we do our secret and top secret and classified things with the cyber battalion, making a larger footprint that would then be attractive to a cyber brigade headquarters. So making sure that the Indiana National Guard stays relevant and ready is uh, something that I look at very hard. And then, uh, as I mentioned, just the continued fight for talent to join the National Guard. And the fact of the matter is we have got to maintain this all-volunteer force and the slippage that we've seen in the last three years of people joining uh, can be overcome, but we've got to work a little bit harder to understand how to do that and really get after that. Talk about the Cyber Brigade, because I think that's interesting and something's been talked about, I think, for a long time. What would what what is involved? This is a competitive thing, right? Uh, so you're competing with other other locations and, and what what's involved with getting it and what would it mean to get a cyber brigade? It is. Uh, so we currently have a cyber battalion uh, in Indiana. And uh, it's one of seven battalions throughout the United States. So we're very fortunate in that regard. And so what we want to do is make ourselves a valid candidate to potentially receive a cyber brigade to complement the battalion. And so what that uh, that process is, uh, uh, the National Guard Bureau will uh, solicit for nominations to become a headquarters for a cyber brigade, and they will require states to submit packets in order to be considered. And what we do uh, inside the Indiana National Guard is we submit that packet. And what I do is this. We want to do things to differentiate ourselves from the other states. So when you look at what states will submit for a packet, they're almost identical. So what can we do to make ourselves more relevant in terms of being considered for a place to put that? So number one, can we recruit the talent to maintain that headquarters? And I say yes, because of the robust academic institutions that we have inside of Indiana. What can we do to enhance or build out the facilities right now so that if we are selected, we don't have to have a large investment by the Army? So just little things like that can differentiate ourselves from our competitors and make us the key choice of putting that future force structure to make us relevant. Major General Dale Lyles is the Indiana Adjutant General. Major General Lyles, been a real treat chatting with you. You're a busy guy and have a lot on your plate. And good luck with everything because uh, what you do is so important, especially on that talent issue and getting more more young men and women involved uh, with the National Guard. It certainly is. And uh, Gary, I appreciate you having me today uh, to talk about these important topics. We want to be an institution uh, that's recognized by all Hoosiers as a neighbor. 
And so we have a presence in uh, almost 62 counties throughout Indiana, and we are indeed your neighbors. And we want to be known as a an institution that is ready to help uh, in time of need, both state and nationally, and uh, offering these opportunities for people to serve uh, while living inside of Indiana. All right. Major General Dale Lyles, thank you so much for joining us on the Business and Beyond podcast. And thank you as well for joining us on this edition of the podcast. It's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of the episodes of the podcast and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.